You're listening to What She Said, a podcast for bloggers and creatives hosted by me, Lucy Sharif, a freelance journalist living in London. Each week, I interview different women in blogging and the online world, getting their best blogging tips and advice and a little bit of gossip too. Thanks for listening. Today, I interview Sarah Tasker, who is the Instagram queen and maven behind me and Orla. She's kind of my hero. I absolutely love her. Um, I've done her course, the Insta Retreat, earlier this year and met one of my Insta besties through it, um, Whimsy and Grey, for those of you who don't know. So Sarah is awesome. If you don't know her, if you don't follow her, not only does she have the most beautiful Instagram, she also has a wonderful blog. It's amazing. She shares stacks of knowledge about Instagram for free, as well as on her brilliant e-courses, which I really suggest you sign up for if you can. And she writes for other publications as well. She's been featured in places like Stylist. And I think she's writing a book, which we actually didn't talk about in our Skype chat, mostly because I was overwhelmed with excitement at finally getting to speak to one of my favourite humans on the internet. I feel like everybody who listens to this podcast probably also listens to her podcast, Hashtag Authentic, which is a brilliant, brilliant podcast. It's currently in season two. I think new episodes are released every Wednesday, so definitely go over and subscribe to that if you don't already. You probably follow her on Instagram. If you don't, then do. (laughs) I have to admit, I really didn't want to just pick her brains about Instagram the whole time because I feel like she shares so much knowledge that I didn't want to just go over old ground but I'm sort of kicking myself about that a little bit you know what it's like you always kick yourself afterwards for all the things that you wish you'd asked (laughs) but hopefully you'll enjoy this episode anyway I'm absolutely positive you will Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of the podcast. I love the name of your podcast, by the way. I've kind of got podcast name envy. Oh, really? So, oh, ah, do you know, my husband came up with it because I'm terrible at coming up with names. I'm not creative when it comes to stuff like that at all. And he came I just up think with you it. either think of it or you don't. And if it's not there, you're like, great, exactly. I have no ideas. No, but I so love hashtag authentic. I don't think anyone gets it. I think there's about six of us that get it. <laughs> no, no, no. People definitely get it. Whenever I've spoken to people, they get it. Even if they're not in the like major fangirl club, they still get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six people, but that's it. <laughs> so I don't want to talk all about Instagram, obviously. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about other stuff. But to start off with, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody, which is, can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your blogging journey? So my blogging journey actually starts on Instagram. Mm-hmm which is unusual, I think. So I was on maternity leave about to give birth to my little girl who is now four and a bit. So four and a bit years ago. And I'd previously had a blog. My old blog was called From Wonderland with Love. It still exists on the Wayback Machine, if anyone was really curious. (laughs) But I kind of, I wasn't finding the time. I wasn't finding the energy or the impetus to update it anymore. My life had really changed. So I kind of stumbled across Instagram as a microblogging platform this idea that I could just take one picture a day I didn't even have to use my DSLR I didn't have to hook up to the computer and download my images every day I could just do a mini blogging kind of experience on Instagram so I got the bug for that while I was on maternity leave because it felt like I should be documenting this time kind of this new baby coming and as that grew and my audience grew quite quickly I found I had a lot more still to say and really wanted to start a new blog. My captions were getting 
longer and longer and I thought this really needs to be a blog I need to put them somewhere that's more suited to that long form content so started the Meanola blog. So you already had a really solid Instagram following when you started your blog when you were growing your blog did you find that that kind of happened organically because you already had a really engaged audience there kind of waiting to hear more from you? It sort of didn't because I was very sporadic with my blog first um, because I had a young baby and because I had a lot of perfectionist tendencies about it because it was new and I'd done it before and I was like this is my fresh start and I really wanted it to be a certain way so I procrastinated updating that blog an awful lot and I can remember a time when I mean I was looking at quitting my day job at this point and I was emailing agencies in all of my lunch breaks and someone replied and asked about my blog stats and they were lousy Mm. um and that was when it kind of clicked and I was like oh I need to actually like try with my blog now as well like I can't just use it as this kind of thing I quietly update and don't tell anyone about it needs to be a platform in its own right I mean the content was all already there but I hadn't done anything about promoting it and taken it seriously I suppose in my own head so as soon as I got on that and I was like oh yeah regular updates and tell people about them (laughs) then by that point I really did have a big audience and it was quite easy to bring people across I think that shows the importance of being intentional Mm. it can feel like I've posted this post on the internet and okay no one's read it so obviously I'm rubbish and you can go down that spiral (laughs) but actually I had this huge audience by that point I must have been at about like 70k Instagram followers maybe over 100k Instagram followers the link was there in my profile but because I wasn't saying to people please come and read my blog nobody did until I told them to that's a really good lesson I think because so many people I see and I was talking about it with Fee Whimsy and Grey yeah, we're talking about people starting a blog and kind of keeping it hidden until it's perfect and yeah. having a load of content there and not being ready to kind of release it to the world as it were. But really, no one's looking. No one's looking until you tell them to, until you point them in the direction. And it's funny because no one would think that of, of someone with your following. I think that would give people a lot of confidence that you can you can just play. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the time to do it. Play while hardly anyone's looking. Yeah. Don't wait until everyone's reading it until you get your game on because that's the wrong way around. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you were working towards specific stats or not, but was there anything specifically that helped you aside from Instagram? Definitely regular posts. That was a game changer. So my schedule back then was three posts a week. I look back now and I don't know how I did that because I was posting three times a week and Instagram every day and working like four days a week and I had a young child and I know there was a lot of like 2am finishes because I was desperate to reach this level where I would be able to quit that day job I think a lot of people who've quit their day job can relate to that that point where you just are killing yourself to make it possible and I don't even update three times a week now but that definitely helps like as soon as you get really consistent and keep showing up obviously your stats start to increase yeah It was just that intentionality. It was, you know, sharing it on Twitter, sharing it on Pinterest, sharing it on Facebook, telling people about it instead of hiding it away. Yeah, there's no shortcuts. It's it's all quite simple stuff. But I think we are really guilty. I'm really guilty of it as well. Being like, what can I Google? How can I do this quicker? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Where's the magic one? Yeah, it's just writing, showing up everywhere, doing the work, doing the work. At the point when you were ready to kind of quit your day job and then become a full time. I don't know. What would you call yourself? In- influencer? At the time, what would you have called yourself? Uh, I guess I was, an, I was an influencer then, yeah. Did you find that you almost had to really give yourself permission to call yourself that? Yeah. Oh, I've always struggled with this. Like, what on earth do you call yourself? Yeah. 
is it even imposter syndrome? I don't even think you can be an imposter influencer because in my head anyway, I was like, influencer isn't even a thing. So I can't be an imposter. <laughs> I tell the story quite often, but I really struggled even calling myself like a photographer or a writer. So for the longest time, my bios all said, writes things and takes pictures, which I thought was a really clever workaround because I wasn't claiming. <laughs> but of course, it just shows a lack of belief in myself. And if you don't believe in yourself, you can't possibly expect anybody else to. And I really had to kind of sit myself down eventually. It was around that time and be like, look, people are paying you to take pictures like Canon are paying you to take pictures. If that doesn't make you a photographer, nothing will like. You see it quite a lot. And I see it a lot with people that I follow on Instagram, whatever, when suddenly they're like, oh, can I change my bio? What am I? And it's kind of, well, you are whoever you want to be. Really, it's just giving yourself permission to say, I'm a writer. I write stuff. You know, you don't even really have to get to a level where you're being paid for it. Well, I don't think so anyway. No, no, of course not. If you write, you're a writer. Yeah, and there are terrible writers who get paid a lot of money. (laughs) Amazing writers who never get paid. That's true. Yeah, (laughs) And that's the thing, like you're not saying... And I'm, I'm an amazing photographer, an amazing writer. You're just putting it out there that that is what you do. Yeah. And you let other people make their decisions. That's a really good point. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to change my bio. Lucy Sharif, amazing writer. <laughs> <laughs> amazing writer. I don't even think anyone would notice. <laughs> oh, God, not anyone, to be fair. I had a friend, like an online friend back in the day when I was in my teens from America. And she, her Facebook bio and her MySpace bio and everything just used to say, I'm kind of awesome. And I used to be like, I want to get to a point where I can write, I'm kind of awesome and feel okay about it. I feel like I'm getting there now. Like maybe I could put I'm kind of awesome on Twitter and field off the the resulting Britishness that would come from all directions. Yeah, the ickiness that you would probably feel inside at doing it. I think you should. One of the things that I think you do really, really well, actually, is celebrating your successes. And in doing that, I think you give other people permission to do the same. So I've found that reading your posts on making money and making more money than you thought you ever could, et cetera, et cetera, that has felt like it's given me permission to talk about how much money I make or how much money I want to make or how I feel happy that I'm successful in certain things. Is that something that you consciously do or is it something you feel comfortable kind of slipping into that level of vulnerability? It comes and goes, the awkwardness around that. Like in some ways, I think I felt better about doing it when I first started before the reactions came in. Mm. That's because I kind of had no concept of how it would be received. Because the way I've always looked at it is like this blog and this Instagram and wherever else you might follow me is me telling you my story of life. And you get the shit bits, you get the good bits. You get everything in between. So, of course, like when, oh, my goodness, I've made money and I can afford to shop at cards now without feeling (laughs) horrendously guilty. I can afford to buy new pants whenever I need them. (laughs) Like, I'm going to talk about that because it's huge and it's it's transformed my understanding of myself and of my relationship with money and my relationship with the world. So it would be weird if I wasn't talking about it. But that, of course, brings up everyone else's own feelings about money and success. And so there are inevitably a couple of people who are not going to feel comfortable reading it. But I hope that there's far more people who respond exactly like you're saying, which is like, I just think we don't talk enough about how it's all possible. And if I hadn't had a friend or two who'd done it for themselves and seen with my own eyes that it was possible, I never would have even tried it for myself. So I want to be at least one of those voices out there saying to people, look, actually, these things are all real and it's okay to take your Instagram seriously. It's okay to take your blog seriously because I did. And now look where I am. So don't feel stupid for trying. No, I think it's really powerful. It's definitely something that when I've 
shared on kind of a, an online friend situation when someone's asked me something I'll always be super super honest and sometimes mm. the reaction I'll get is oh my god I never knew that nobody ever tells that and I think that's because there's so little so little transparency especially with big bloggers or Instagrammers mm-hmm. like you there's almost so little say people saying not necessarily I earn exactly this much money but I earn enough to support myself and my family. And this is how I've done it. I think there's a lot of fear, fear of judgment and fear of kind of not comparing. Because if I say I earn X, what if everyone else is earning Y plus that and I'm way behind? And then also like the fear is real of like the get off my internet type brigade who make anyone who makes any money from anything online feel like, you know, that they're committing some awful sin. So (laughs) I understand why not everybody wants wants to put it out there and for me like I think partly as well it's just that I have no head for numbers so it all feels a bit arbitrary to me like I went to my husband the other day and I was like how many hundred thousands are in a million (laughs) 10 Sarah and I was like oh I could maybe make 10 of those right I'm gonna make a million pounds and run away but like I just have no head so I can put these numbers out there because they don't have a they don't have a very solid sense in my head if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> that's probably that's probably a really good thing actually to stop you from being scared of it that's yeah like- it totally like it feels quite abstract yeah <laughs> <laughs> luckily don't worry everybody Rory manages all of my accounts <laughs> <laughs> that's a top tip top tip try <laughs> and just not understand numbers and everything will be fine yeah. <laughs> it's good that there's a place for for people who aren't good with numbers, I'm also not very good with numbers. So Right? And yeah, I never thought, I thought that discluded me mm. from having a business, from yeah. being an entrepreneur. But actually, it sort of turned into a motivating factor because I was like, I want to be able to make enough money to not have to worry about this shit yes. and like the tiny details of like, even just that, oh my God, am I, am I getting the best train fare or am I, is there one four pound cheaper if I go via another app to be able to just be like, okay, I can just book the train. Yes. Okay, that's, That is such comfort and privilege. Um, I'm not going to stop celebrating that like as a, as a thing, cause I've been on the other side. I've mm. been where, you know, those four pounds meant the difference between petrol for, to get to work that day or not. I mean, you worked for the NHS, so I don't think anyone could begrudge you enjoying your success and your money now. <laughs> oh, you know that people do and will, yeah, though, well, they will, yeah. what So another thing I wanted to talk to you about is working in and out of flow. So this is going to be a long-winded question, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, I was, I was reading your post about sponsored content. And it was so good, how, like how to how to create sponsor content that doesn't feel, I think, icky or gross. I think you said. Mm, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It's really, really good because um, it's really practical. And yeah, it, it's not saying don't do it or do it a certain way. Just here's a really good way of getting around when you feel icky because we can't help it. Sometimes you do just feel icky when you're creating yeah, sponsor content, but because you care, it's yeah. a good sign. Yeah, that's true. How do you feel? So at the beginning, when maybe you did have to create content that you felt a bit icky about afterwards, how did you kind of get to the point where you could say, actually, no, this feels out of flow. This feels out of alignment for me. Was it a case of literally just getting to the stage where you could afford to say no to things? That helps. That absolutely helps. <laughs> but, you know, even then I still sometimes kind of have that, oh, that's a lot of money. Maybe I should say yes. And then you have to take a step back and go, no, actually, like there's other ways to make that money. Don't sell out. But I think that's a very human thing, especially if you've come from a place where there's not been enough money at some point in your life. You don't want to turn work away, right? It's when you're self-employed, when you're freelance, you're dependent on your inbox and work coming your way. And so when it comes your way, 
your natural instinct is to accept it. But I think I just learned from my mistakes. And sometimes I would say yes to things. And then when it actually came to creating them, it was a way more uncomfortable process than I expected. And sometimes I'd say yes to things and expect it to be uncomfortable. And it wasn't. And I don't like it. Everything with life, there's probably no shortcut to just learning from those experiences. And you discover about yourself as a creator and you discover kind of things that you hadn't really ever actualized in your head about your audience but you you intrinsically sort of know so that when it comes to writing this post you're like oh okay that feels weird I hadn't realized but actually now I think about it it's because my audience is whatever so yeah it was a little bit of trial and error and there definitely were things I said no to that financially I could have done with saying yes to I've learned that it's worth it in the long run yeah I think it's really hard I've definitely gone completely the other way sometimes and just been like no I don't I'm not doing anything I don't know how to do it. I went the other way. So like after a while with my courses, just recently, I've been doing no sponsored content at all and kind of caught myself and was like, actually, why is that? Because I do enjoy it. I think Mm. when you find a good match, it's actually a really nice kind of creative brief and it it challenges you in different ways. And also I want to keep my skills relevant. So I can't talk to the people I'm mentoring or writing courses for or whatever else about how you do it if I'm not in the fray doing it myself like I don't want to be one of those people that just teaches from the outside so I kind of had to remind myself and and then start accepting things that came back into my inbox and even that was interesting to kind of dive back into that negotiation process and quoting and I ended up quoting way too low for something and kind of being like oh my goodness like I only took maybe six months off from sponsored content. And you talked about a little bit about your e-courses then Um, I've obviously done a couple of your e-courses and they're amazing you're really, really involved in them to the point where I've had real one-on-one feedback from you, really bespoke feedback, and you do really feel like you're getting a lot of your attention. Why is it that you like doing that so much as opposed to other forms of teaching? Because it strikes me that you're quite a natural teacher. I think it's because I'm a control freak. (laughs) (laughs) Those relationships are really important to me. And if somebody's bought my course, they haven't just stumbled across me from a Google search. They've normally followed me maybe for quite some time. They read my blog. And I kind of think of all of my followers in that sense as friends. That investment they've put in me really means a lot. So I want to make sure that they get the best experience out of it that they can. I mean, Bloom and Grow, which is my lower priced e-course, my original intention was to make that much more passive. And I just couldn't quite bring myself to like, (laughs) oh, I was so excited by what everyone was doing. And then And and then I can always justify it because I think like every time I get in the fray and I talk to people, then I learn more about what I can add to the course to make it even more helpful or like what common questions are coming up. Mm -hmm. So I kind of keep feeding it back into the course and making the course better and better. There's got to come a point like I'm at capacity and I can't, my course, the Insta Retreat sells out every time in like the first three or four hours just to my email list. So I never even get it on general sale. And I I can kind of objectively look at that and say that needs to scale up, like I should be able to offer more places. So I'm training a TA, that's my plan, to kind of share that load with me. But I think I'll always still be in there in some capacity just because those conversations are really important to me and my students are important to me and I really want it's that thing again like I said about the sponsored content I suppose like I want to understand what the questions are and be relevant and be able to help people with the questions that are coming up right now and it all moves so quickly in this digital world Instagram especially you know if I wrote a course now and just left it for a year it would become pretty obsolete by the end of those 12 months I think. And that leads us quite nicely to the dreaded algorithm chat. What are your top tips for I don't want to say getting around the algorithm because that kind of sounds like it's 
trickery or working or with whatever. it working with it yeah to yeah get playing friendly with it yeah specifically obviously to instagram i think it's really helpful if you can get your head around what algorithms are and generally how they're working so on instagram it's probably taking into account dozens if not hundreds of different factors so you're never going to be able to sort of just play the game perfectly and have every post do brilliantly and we kind of need to let that go we need to let go our old impressions of how social media worked because it's changed very much and the algorithms are all here to stay on whatever network you're using but there are things you can kind of do that work with the way it works instead of kind of trying to push against it so that's things like if you understand how they're promoting how they kind of decide whether or not to promote a post so they probably show it to a very small section of who they think the audience for your post is and if it does well with that small section they'll roll it out to a lot more of those people so one of our aims should always kind of be to think how can I optimize my post to do as well as possible with the first few people that see it so that means you want to post that's like super engaging. Maybe you're asking a question or you're sharing something of really high value in the caption rather than like, you know, an obscure song lyric, which we're all guilty of sometimes. <laughs> or, you know, just one of those empty phrases we throw up because we've got nothing to say. And like, <laughs> is the picture in focus and is it well exposed and kind of is it everything you want it to be? Because you're going to drop likes for small things like that. People are snobs. Or they'll be like, oh, no, it's blurry. I can't click like. So kind of thinking about that, reflecting on your previous posts and seeing what gets more likes and what doesn't and kind of trying to hone in on the content that you create that gets the most response will always do better again in the algorithm. That's kind of it's a very democratic in that sense, kind of yeah. popularity contest. Yeah. The downside of that is that we can very easily fall into just chasing the likes, right? Mm-hmm. So that we're just only doing what's popular and the content that doesn't do well, we all stop making because we know it doesn't work with the algorithm. And I don't think that's a good direction for things to go in. But I can't honestly tell people not to because I understand why they want to. And I try and space it out. So I'll maybe go for one really algorithm friendly post a week. And the rest of the time I post what I want to post and what I know my core audience are happy to see, even if it's not going to please everybody. You answered the question I was going to ask, which was, is it something that you still really, really focus heavily on? Or are you able to kind of step back from it and just post what you like? But I guess everybody probably ends up getting to the sweet spot of however many posts a week they do dedicated to algorithm (laughs) (laughs) pleasing and the rest just to please themselves. Not everybody needs to please the algorithm. It depends what your aim is. Like unless you want to be an influencer, specifically like a, you know, an influencer that sells to a wide market, you don't need thousands and thousands of followers. You need a small really invested group of followers who love what you do. But we're kind of brainwashed to think that big numbers are what matter. So I understand why people kind of feel the need to be pulled in that direction. Yeah. And it's something that I think in the Insta retreat, I think we all probably had similar things that we battled with, especially mm. in terms of numbers, because you you want to get to an arbitrary. And I even had to catch myself recently. It was when Sarah Ferguson got to her 10K and we were oh, sharing yeah. to get her there. And I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And I suddenly got caught up and was like, I want this. I want to swipe up. That's all I want. For a weekend, I was like, right, I've got to focus on getting that swipe up. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, if you did it's focus ridiculous. on it, you could get it. Like, you know, you could do it if you made that your focus. But you're right to stop and then think, hang on, is that the right thing for me to be focusing on? Like, is that going to bring me more of what I want? No, not at all. You just get completely, yeah, you get blown off path though, right? Yeah, By other people totally. shiny good stuff. It was ridiculous. I had to really have a word with myself. <laughs> well done for spotting it though, because I, I think 
I mean, I'm guilty of it even now. I kind of, someone else is doing something. I should probably be doing that. And then you think, hang on, no, I've got my own plans. And that's where planning comes in really handy. Like if you have a three month plan and a six month plan of what you want to do, then you can really quickly look back and be like, oh, look, no, that's not on there. Clearly, I didn't think that was a priority. (laughs) I need to actually go over my goals again, because it's been a little bit of a while since I did the Insta retreat. And I want to kind of go back and refocus myself after my little swipe up mental. <laughs> I mean, this can sound like a sales pitch. It's not. I'm just finishing updating all of the content. Anyone who's previously done it will get the new updated content rolled out in a couple of weeks. So then, then if you're going to go back over it, wait until you've got that. So you get all the shiny new updated versions. Oh, that's exciting. Thank you. One of the things that I find people who Instagram influencers and they, they'd be a bit naysay about it, will be mm-hmm. like, well, but I don't want a theme. I don't want all of my pictures to be a, a coffee cup or whatever. And I'll often say, because I've done your course, I'll often say, well, it's not actually quite like that. They don't all have to be, you know, a white flat lay of one peony. They can be different things. A theme is different. But I find it really, really hard to describe what I'm saying because I'm still nailing down my theme and my tones and all the rest of it. How would you describe kind of nailing down your theme. I think of it as like a consistent voice. It's just kind of really confidently knowing who you are and what you create best and offering that. So like, you know, if you go to an amazing photographer's website and you look through their portfolio, it's all one voice. It's all one style of photography. And they may be photographs of very different things, but you know one of their pictures as soon as you see it, right? Because it's got those certain qualities that just sum them up. And it's the same for a writer, like a really good writer. You should be able to pick up one of their books without their name on the cover and know it's theirs. But on the way to getting to that point of as a writer, you end up coming out with everybody else's voices first, right? So like you write one, one chapter as Roald Dahl and you write another chapter <laughs> as like Maggie O'Farrell and all the people who have influenced you kind of come out until you work your way through it to find your own voice. So I think it's about that. That might sound to some people ridiculously pretentious to say, well, you've got to find your voice for your Instagram. But I think as a creative, it's just finding your true voice for everything. It could be how you dress. It could be how you decorate your home. But whatever it is you're trying to do, you have to go through that awkward period of trying on different styles till you find the one that really is you. And that's what works on Instagram. When you land on someone's page and you feel like you know them visually straight away and there's no kind of conflicting elements that make you wonder what's going on. It's really hard to explain to somebody who feels really cross (laughs) why they haven't got a theme and why they can't get thousands of followers a day. That's what it is all about. And I I know what you mean when you say it sounds kind of pretentious to say you're finding your voice, but that is exactly what it is. It's just Mm. like finding the perfect black dress or whatever, or the perfect pair of jeans. You just have to try stuff on. And and finding a wardrobe that all goes together. Like, so that's the example I use in the Insta Retreat, isn't it? In my teens and twenties, I would go out and buy like pink tutu skirts because I really liked pink girly stuff. But I also was quite into like leather leggings and red tops and none of these things went together. And (laughs) and I had this crazy wardrobe because I just bought what I liked. I liked lots of really varied things, but they weren't all my style. And so as soon as I kind of had this epiphany of you can see things that you like and not have to buy them, you can just have one style that kind of started to change everything. I'm still trying to find my style and I'm 34. Yeah, I think it's a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> so I was getting something else pinged in my head then that I was going to say that I thought might be useful. So I've been having coaching with Sass Petherick. I think you might know. Yes. I love her. She's amazing. And she says, she's so right. When someone's angry like that, 
it's all about them and it's not really about you. And it's about their own feelings of fear and inadequacy. And they should be looking at why they're uncomfortable with other people having a theme rather than us having to justify why we need it. Yes. Oh, that's a really good point. She's so wise. It's so, so wise. I could carry her in my pocket. (laughs) I'm so, so sad that I can't come to the writer's retreat, actually. So I wanted to know, actually talking about angry people and people kind of projecting their own their own fear and insecurity onto you because you've obviously got a really powerful platform and you've got a lot of numbers behind you on Twitter and on Instagram on everything you're open to trolls but also just to people criticizing you how do you cope with them I've got a lot better at dealing with it um, it's one of the things actually that's working with SAS has really helped me with And you still get that moment, like the first moment you read that negative comment or you see someone who's totally ripped off your work, you have that moment of sick feeling Mm -hmm. dread. But now I find I can work through that a lot more quickly to get to a sane headspace where I'm able to really be like, okay, you go and do that. You you knock yourself out over there. I'm just going to carry on living my life and not worrying about it. I don't think anyone ever completely stops caring. Like if you speak to people who write big online you know, newspaper columns and this, the comments can still really get to them. But you learn, like I said, that it, it really is, says everything about them and nothing about you. The way people respond to your work is not your responsibility. You can't control what other people do. The only thing we can control is what we do ourselves. So if we feel OK about what we're putting out there, then that's good enough. They can just go and have their tantrum quietly. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you decide on your sort of sharing line? I know we talked earlier about the posts that you sometimes write that are quite vulnerable. You've talked about your your pots and which actually I should probably say. Is yeah, people, not my pots in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> which obviously is very vulnerable for some people. <laughs> and you've talked about money and you've talked about Orla how do you decide on that sharing line? Is it literally just a gut reaction of like, oh, that feels icky. I'm not going to share it. If I feel uncomfortable about it, I'll write it and then I'll sit on it. Sometimes that can be for a week and sometimes it can be for months. Something in me stops me from hitting publish until it feels safe enough. So it never feels completely safe. And I think sometimes the posts where you're hesitant to press publish are the best posts. They're the ones that resonate the most. They're always the ones that get the most comments and shares and lovely, warm responses. So I always encourage people to push against that feeling. But if it really feels too vulnerable, if you feel like you're kind of dependent on the reaction and if it's a good reaction it'll make you feel good and if it's a bad reaction it'll really tear tear you apart then you're not ready to share it so that's when I sit on it and sometimes I come back to a draft after like a week or six months or whatever and I'm like oh no I feel totally fine about that like I can't believe I even hesitated to press publish those posts are great to share because they still feel as authentic and vulnerable to the audience members who are going through the same thing because you wrote it from that place of complete turmoil about it or whatever but you yourself have moved past it a little bit more so that you, you've sorted out enough in your head that the comments aren't going to throw you off path. It's very rare that I don't just hit publish on it eventually in the end, maybe with one or two tweaks once I've calmed myself down. Yeah. My site was hacked recently, though, and I was like, oh, yes, shit, like, what's in there? What, what's in my drafts? But actually nothing exciting, it turned out. <laughs> Actually, um, your site getting hacked, I think when you tweeted about it and I was like, oh, I suddenly felt really sick and thought, oh, my God, I don't do I have anything to protect myself from that? What happened and what was the process of it? And how did you how did you cope? It was the worst. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God, it was the worst. Horrendous. So I'm on WordPress and like no one had quite informed me how vulnerable to hacking mm. WordPress is. 
unless all of your plugins are up to date, unless you've like deleted all of your old themes, there's just so many moving parts that need constantly kind of monitoring and updating. So my service provider found a hack that compromised it and they sent me an email to tell me so and, and to let me know that they wouldn't be able to restore from my backups in this instance. Oh um, but they would give me like a clean install and then I could start again. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's that's not going to be OK. So it kind of we had a bit of push and pull between me and my service provider for a few days where I think it was a bit of a misunderstanding and they didn't completely understand that I wasn't just running like a small blog, that actually my website had become a really heavily customized, high traffic mm. site that was still built on WordPress. And in the end, they were able to fix it and they were total heroes. I'm sure that there was a lot of people having very stressful conversations in that office yes. over the course of those few days. But in terms of lessons learned, I don't know, even know what really what I should do differently. I've, I've changed all my passwords mm. and I've added extra apps that are security apps, mm-hmm. plugins um, that they recommended. Oh. And I now know that I need to be better at getting everything updated. So I think I'm going to have to look at having like a WordPress manager for me yeah. who goes in and, and does all of that stuff. And also, I guess one of the issues was I was storing my backups on my server, the same directory. Yeah. This is so dull. And um, <laughs> apparently that's bad, guys. You shouldn't do that. So I don't really understand why. Yeah. Um, that's so save to Dropbox is yeah. a tip I was given, which I think is a really good one. So that whatever happens, you have. And not just because the problem was I had WordPress backups. So they had like, mm-hmm. luckily, we managed to get all my posts. There was a point where it was like, great, we've got all of those. But I still didn't have all of the customization on my site, which mm-hmm. is where my e-course was and just so much stuff like days and days of work. God, so so stressful. But that is a really good tip. Just being a bit more mindful of WordPress, of your, if you... Was most bloggers listening to this will be on WordPress and I always recommend it as well. I love WordPress. Like It hasn't made me want to leave WordPress, so don't let it put you off if mm. you're thinking. About it. Oh, and don't use admin as your login name in oh. case anyone's still doing that because <laughs> I was. That's not good. <laughs> I don't, but I'm not sure if that was a conscious, clever decision of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sets it up as a default. This is the thing because I started my blog. No one was looking for the longest That's time. It, so. Yeah. You don't take it seriously from the start. And maybe that's where I went wrong. I was chatting to somebody recently about kind of taking things seriously from the start, because I think a lot of us don't. But she had and she's grown a lot quicker than probably the average person would because she started. She almost started with the end in mind. What do you think about that as a tactic for when you're blogging? I mean, it's probably all well and good if you know what your end result that you want is. I think that finding that is possibly the tricky part because sometimes it's not what we think, right? So we think, oh, I want to be an influencer. And then it's only when you get to the level where you're doing sponsored posts that you realize you absolutely hate doing sponsored posts, for example. (laughs) And then what do you do? Like you've built everything in this direction that maybe wasn't right for you. But I guess you can always change course as you go along. It's definitely, it comes back to that intentionality thing, doesn't it? Like if you're just on Instagram and just blogging for fun, you're not going to put the same work into it as if you're doing it with a goal in mind. And I'm big on setting goals for whatever reason, like goals in my personal life, goals in my professional life. Like, you know, my goal to make Mark Hamill my best friend, (laughs) whatever it is, because once I've set myself a goal, I know where I'm going. I know what to work towards and I can be pretty tenacious. But if there's no specific thing, I'll just go for a nap. I just, like, <laughs> how do I know I'm achieving? I'll just go for a sleep. So I can see the point in it, but I think 
be wary of setting yourself too specific a goal too early on because it all evolves. And kind of I'm stuck in the situation where I've got me and Ola is my name that I'm known by and it's my brand name. But it doesn't really fit everything I do anymore, I don't think. Like the e-courses and the podcasts don't really feel like they're me and Orla specifically because she's not, she's no part of it. She's four. <laughs> uh, so, you know, because it, my brand evolved and what I thought I was doing really changed. So trying to future-proof yourself, I guess, is the key. Future-proofing is something that um, I think everybody should be thinking about and diversifying mm. because if I've learned anything from these podcasts and the whole podcast it is just a fact-finding for myself, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if social media, if anything that you're on, if you put all of your focus into just one thing, especially social media where you don't own anything and it can change tomorrow, you can lose everything. So diversifying and not putting all your eggs in one basket it's just so important. Definitely. And it's balancing that with trying not to spread yourself too thinly, isn't it? Because yeah. you can't do everything well at once. Yeah. So I like my tip for social media is I just follow my interests. So at the moment, like I'm really enjoying Twitter. I'm really enjoying the conversations I'm having on there. And I'm really liking stories on Instagram. So that's where you'll see the most of me at the moment, because I can force myself to go onto Pinterest and pin whatever many pins a day you're meant to do. And I can force myself to keep churning blogs out at three posts a week if I had to. But it wouldn't be the best content I could do because my heart wouldn't be in it. And I do think that comes across. You can tell when someone's just forcing themselves to do what's required of them. So if you can follow your interest, you'll enjoy it more. What will come across will be so much more kind of meaningful and resonant. And if you're anything like me, like my attention span's quite short, so then I'll move on to the next thing. And it kind of, you end up covering everything anyway, just by process of elimination. I think trying to force yourself to do anything is a bit of a recipe for disaster. I know that if I have to do anything, even just having the word have to, I just turn into a bit of a sulky teenager and I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your podcast is awesome it's so so good and thank you I've re-listened to it I don't know maybe two three times <laughs> it's brilliant it's so so good and you did an episode it was one where it was just you and you were talking about your mailing list mm. and how important it is and I'll obviously link to it all in the show notes and I probably won't need to because I think everybody that listens to my podcast listens to yours <laughs> but what would be your top tip with a mailing list to have one because have so many people don't <laughs> yeah. like so many people I speak to who have like an online shop or a blog and you say oh and have you got a mailing list no because it kind of it slips down our list of priorities or it feels overwhelming like we think the tech will be really complicated but it's not it's really easy to set up and you don't have to be perfectionisty about it like you can just start collecting those names and addresses now even if you don't know what you're going to do with them yet because it's something you own it's something that if Instagram closes if Twitter disappears, whatever else happens, you still have a way of contacting all of those people who were interested enough in what you do to give you their email address. I mean, then you get into the whole thing of how inboxes have algorithms too. Mm. So like in Gmail, if you're getting pushed into the promos folder or if you're going into spam or wherever else, then you're not going to get seen as much. So it's still not perfect. It's mm. not like you can just turn up at their door, that kind of that immediate but it's as close as we get in the online world is to have someone's email address um, or phone number that's the new thing people are like oh. doing mailing lists with phone numbers and then texting their audience oh my goodness which is is very immediate and kind of is a way around it it's a big thing in america it's not it's not huge here yet but it's possible and i've kind of looked at it and wondered about it because it's people trying to get past those barriers right because there's no algorithms in anyone's text inbox 
yes. at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. That's kind of blown my mind a little bit and scared me because I'm quite scared of, of fast progression like that. Don't be scared. It's just, <laughs> I think how great it could be. Like, I would love to have texts from like my favorite podcasters to let me know what they're recording that day or about a special offer that's oh, not my favorite shop or whatever. That's a useful thing. So yeah. it doesn't have to be terrifying, but I know it just feels like another thing to keep up with, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being part of the podcast. I'm just going to ask you one more thing. Where can everybody find you online? So I'm at meanola.co.uk. And I'm me underscore and underscore Ola on Instagram and me and Ola everywhere else. And it's annoying that I have a different username on Instagram, but I have a blue tick. So I am yes. going to have to prize <laughs> that username out of my cold, dead hands because I'm not changing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you.